You are listening to the Pencil and Paper Podcast Network. Visit PencilandPaperProductions.Podbean.com to find more great podcasts. Hello and welcome to As I Recall It, a podcast featuring stories and anecdotes of years past. Did they happen exactly as I said? Probably not, only as I recall it. There's been a subject I've wanted to talk about here for some time, but I've avoided it for several reasons. The main one is heartache, for me and possibly for others. A family member recently suffered a tragedy that I experienced years ago. Attempting to speak to my cousin about this was difficult because I remembered my own mindset at the time and I wasn't sure how to approach the situation. Then I reminded myself he isn't me and I shouldn't assume that he wouldn't appreciate the effort. In doing so, I was also reminded how sensitive I still was to my own loss. It was unexpected. Since the situation has now resurfaced, I felt now was the time to talk about it. But instead of focusing on just the tragedy, I decided I would highlight the journey and share some stories along the way. This is a story of fatherhood. As I recall it, the year was 1998, and I was told by my then-girlfriend that she was pregnant. Neither one of us were prepared to have a child. I was barely 18 and had no real job, and she was still in high school. Fear set in real quick. What was I supposed to do? Why did I act so foolishly and allow this to happen? There was no turning back now. Obviously, you could say there was, but abortion was never on the table. We made a choice, and now we had to be responsible for it. Since we were foolish kids, telling our parents was no picnic either. My parents reacted by berating me while my girlfriend's mother decided to threaten me with statutory rape charges. It was a fun day. Ironically, my girlfriend's father, you know, the person who's supposed to rough up the boyfriend for violating his little girl, basically shrugged and said, Oh well, nothing you can do about it now. It was very unexpected, but it shouldn't have been considering the person that he was. Despite all of that, my girlfriend and I got married, started a life together, and by September of 1998, we were officially parents to a little girl. It was a unique experience that many never have. There was intense anxiety when it started, a sense of strength as she was born, overwhelming joy upon seeing her. It was a roller coaster. I had never cried tears of joy before that moment. I never knew what it meant to be that happy. But there she was. Perhaps I should preface the continuance by stating that this is my experience and results may vary. Parenting is not right for everyone. Talk to your doctor if you're considering parenting. Jade, my first child, who would have been Stephen White Jr. had she been a boy. Why? Because go listen to the previous episode. I wasn't sure when this journey began, how it would go, and where it would lead. I just knew that a little human child depended on me, and I didn't want to let her down. At first, I felt like I was. I was stressed out and tired and never knew if I was doing the right things for her. She was a preemie, which put additional stress on us because of her health. I'm actually sitting here thinking about certain reactions I had in regards to stressful situations and actually hating myself for having them. One example was the first night my daughter was home, she wouldn't stop crying. 
We checked her diaper, tried feeding her, rocking her. Nothing worked. We didn't know what to do. And I got so angry at her, as if she could help it. She was a baby and had no other way to communicate to us. The fuck is wrong with me? I shouldn't be a father. Over the course of our first year, Jade and I were thick as thieves, best pals, friends to the end. When I would get home from work every day, I would be greeted with a glowing smile from Jade. It was the greatest feeling in the world to have someone that genuinely excited to see me every day. After dinner, we would spend the evening playing and eventually passing out together. There are actually several pictures out there of us sleeping side by side. I even remember a video of me dancing in front of her while she watched me sitting on a bed, just smiling. That smile would melt anyone's heart. But eventually news came that would shift the dichotomy of the family. My wife was pregnant again. This time, with us being married and having our own home, the news was more joyous. Fast forward nine months later, the delivery room situation was definitely different. First, this was a scheduled delivery. The child refused to come out and was two weeks overdue. Second, for whatever reason, the epidural didn't take, so my wife had to be put to sleep. Without anyone to talk to, I was much more nervous. So much so that after the child was born, I had to excuse myself just to catch a breath. I don't know why things felt more intense, but it was a rough time the second time around. After some time, I collected myself and went to go greet my newest child. Starla, my second born. Also probably would have been named Stephen White Jr. had she been a boy. In fact, we didn't know she was going to be a girl beforehand. We thought it would be fun to be surprised. Wait a minute. Maybe this explains the intensity. Well, anyway, my wife was convinced she was a boy. So much so that as she was coming out of her medically induced coma, I had to tell her we had another daughter, and she actually argued with me that we had a boy through the drugs. It was pretty amusing. Now, I don't want to speak out of turn, but from my perspective, my wife wasn't really attaching or bonding with Starla. At first, I felt it was a result of the medication they gave her, but it did seem to trickle out more when we got home. Whatever my perception was, I took it upon myself to give Starla all the attention she needed. Before you knew it, we were best buds. Palsy walsy It was something that lingered throughout our lives as we bonded over many things throughout the years. I used to draw constantly when I was younger, and she picked it up over the years and has become quite proficient at it. We love watching horror flicks together, and it's fun digging up old classics to show her when we have time. And while this relationship was blossoming, I was informed that I was pushing Jade by the wayside. I wasn't intending to exclude her from anything. I didn't even realize I had. I felt horrible about it. Did this ruin what could have been a perfect father-daughter relationship? What could I have done differently to ensure equal time between them? How could I even fathom doing such a thing to her? I shouldn't be a father. It's important to note that at this time, I was under the assumption that this was it from here on out. A wife and two kids would be the status quo until the end of time. My wife was using some experimental birth control to stave off any more additions, and we were struggling to make ends meet. How great life was. Since I was still a kid trying to raise kids... I wasn't being very responsible about anything, and eventually my wife left me because of it. This was a devastating blow for me. 
Leaving her was one thing, but leaving my kids was something else entirely. We lived in separate apartments in the same complex, so seeing the girls was at least convenient. I didn't know what to do to fix everything except be more responsible. Being on my own during that time pushed me into doing just that, and it's one thing I actually am grateful for. After some time, my wife and I reconciled and the family was reunited. This is around 2000-2001. At some point, my wife had her birth control device removed for some reason that I'm not exactly sure of. Needless to say, the baby factory was open again and before we knew it, there was another bun in the oven. Unfortunately, this was not a long pregnancy. Around 16 weeks in, we were informed that the fetus no longer had a heartbeat. My wife was devastated, but me? I wasn't sure what to feel. It was a child I would never know, and I couldn't change it, so no point dwelling on it. People depended on me, and I couldn't afford to fall apart. I had to be a pillar, so I buried any feelings I was meant to have on the matter. Around 2003, my wife was pregnant once more, and at the end of the year, we received an early Christmas present in the form of our third daughter. Since we would be spending Christmas in the hospital, we made the most of it. Jade and Starler were allowed to spend the night with us. I drew a picture of a tree, taped it to the wall, and we put their presents under it. It was a first for all of us, really. Piper. Child number three. But fourth sired if you're keeping track. Another daughter. Junior was off the table at this point because having a son was clearly not in the cards. I did what I could to bond with Piper, but as much as I hate saying this, I cannot remember any defining moments between us. She has always been her mother's daughter. I have always played second fiddle in that relationship. I'm not sure what more I could have done. I guess I could have attempted to spend more time with her. At least more than I was. I could have tried having more meaningful memories with her. I really hate digging through my mind and not coming up with any. Did I ignore her? Was that why she bonded more with her mother? I can't remember. I shouldn't be a father. Fast forward to 2005 and the baby train rolls into the station. All aboard. The joke I got so tired of hearing and still am to this day was, don't you know what causes that? <laughs> yes, asshole, I'm well aware of what causes that. Strangely enough, at this time, I was never sure why I didn't do anything to prevent it. Anytime the idea of having another kid came along, I was just like, okay. And that was that. That said, the pursuit of having a son was a driving point. However, I was aware that things were getting harder, and we had more mouths to feed. Still, I went along with it. But this was it. Now or never. No more. Last sire child of Stephen White. Anakin. Fourth child born, fifth child sired, and first born son. I couldn't believe it finally happened. But with three sisters with fairly unique names, I couldn't burden him with my own. So I took a shot and went with Anakin. Many people told me he would be picked on for this name. I argued against such a notion. To my knowledge, it's never happened. Now, not to say that I could never bond with my daughters, but I was always entranced by the prospect of what a father-son bond was all about. At first, it seemed like it would be something special. 
I was guiding him down my nerdy path, and when he was old enough, I would expose him to more. But things never really work out the way you expect. We've had a rocky relationship for some time now. It started when we were sitting in his room and I was trying to have a heart-to-heart conversation with him, trying to get him to understand something very important. When I was done talking, his response was to slap me in the face as hard as he could and laugh about it. I understand that he was a child at the time, but something in me disconnected from him in that moment. I felt as though I was fighting against something that refused to improve. Like no matter how much effort I put into it, nothing would ever change for the better. Because of that, my tactics changed. Anakin became the one I was hardest on. I guess in my way of thinking, I refused to give up on making him a better person, and if I had to be a cold-hearted dad, then so be it. The results would be worth it, right? It didn't work. I shouldn't be a father. I'm not sure when it started, but at some point in my life, I had become unhappy. The problem was that I never noticed. I just accepted things as they were and coasted through each passing day. Eventually, I was reminded that I was alive and I was meant to be happy. This led me on a path of discovering why. Not all of my questions were answered at that time, but one thing was clear. My wife and I had grown apart. We married as teenagers, and as we grew up, we developed into completely opposite people. Her views of the world and mine were just not compatible. Sure, we had our differences before, but they were minor things that we could both live with. As we grew up, our views on life shifted dramatically, which is why I always begged my kids not to rush headfirst into relationships. The divorce took over a year. We would feel adamant about it one minute and completely reject the idea the next. I honestly feel as though we were both afraid to be alone. Afraid no one would ever want to be with us again. We had spent ten years of our lives together. To start over after that is scary. Some people will say, well, you have to stick together for the kids. I can agree and disagree with that statement. I agree because breaking my children's hearts was one of the most devastating memories I've ever had to carry with me. I also disagree because raising children in an unhappy environment will not do them any good and actually can damage them emotionally. There's really no right answer when a child is involved. Now, I can't speak to the emotional turmoil that affects children of a divorce. I have personally never experienced it from that perspective. I can see the toll it took on my kids. Anxiety, depression, anger, sadness. During this time, I could see how one child would show how much she missed me. I would see how another child would be indifferent to my presence. But I would say the most difficult aspect is when you take a chance to be happy with someone new and hope that your children accept that person. Are you just supposed to walk away from someone who brings light into your life again because a child doesn't like them? It feels like a very unfair position to be in. Eventually, my children warmed up to my new girlfriend. I never wanted to push her onto them. I wanted them to accept her on their own terms. They were never forced to call her mom or assume she was a mother figure, even though there was meant to be respect. When they called her mom, it was their choice. But like any broken family, there have been issues of all kinds. 
I've never enjoyed having my children angry at me, but since the divorce, I did see myself becoming harder on them. I saw the challenges that they would face, and I knew what they were capable of, so I pushed them to be better versions of themselves. I wanted them to be better than either one of their parents, to learn from our successes and our failures. But this is a difficult lesson to teach when another teacher offers an easier path. But I digress. In 2012, after three years together, I married my girlfriend. This is not something that happened lightly. I struggled to decide if this was even the right choice. Not that I didn't love her, but could I give her what she wanted out of life? More specifically, could I give her a child of her own? I'd been adamant about not having any more children, and at one time, she said it was something she was willing to forego as long as we were together. Even I knew that wasn't a genuine promise, but something said in the moment. I searched deep down and asked myself if this was something I would be able to do for her. If not, there was no point in staying together. She deserved to have a family, and I wasn't going to stand in the way of that. However, I didn't want to lose her either, so I made the decision. One more time. Boy or girl, doesn't matter. The last roll of the dice, and whatever hits, makes it. Later that year, Katrina told me she was pregnant, and I was excited as I could be. She was over the moon. We began planning for the new addition to the family. My kids seemed excited about the prospect of having a new brother or sister. Weeks passed. Things were going great. Eventually, the time came for us to learn the gender, and surprise, surprise, it was a girl. Since she had siblings with unique names, we decided that she too would have a unique name. My wife was eager to have a name that could connect to her or her late grandfather. We had settled on the first name Kyrie, which I had suggested because I found it to be beautiful, but the middle name is where we got stumped. On a drive home one evening, the name Michonne pushed into my head and the two names were put together. Obviously, I'd been on a walking dead kick at that point, and after saying the name a few times, it just rolled off the tongue. And the initials matched my wife, so it was a done deal. So from that day forward, that's how we'd refer to her. Kyra Michonne. Everything was what it should be. But that's when the world chooses to kick you down as hard as possible. My wife went to the doctor out of concern. She could tell something was wrong. She could feel it in her bones. She went and she had an ultrasound performed. You know, when you ask the nurse if everything is okay, the worst response you can ever get is you'll have to wait for the doctor to talk to you. This is a clear sign that nothing is okay. But they don't have the authority to confirm it with you. So you're left in this state of uncertainty because you have the slimmest glimmer of hope that it's not as bad as you think. But it is. The news came and my wife was admitted to the hospital that evening. While this was not my first time experiencing this situation, it definitely felt different from the first time. As I mentioned before, I buried my feelings regarding that child. I thought I had to be strong for everyone and I couldn't lose control. What's interesting about that is no matter how deep you bury your feelings, they still exist within you. Almost four years after losing that first child, I had an emotional breakdown from out of nowhere that stemmed from that loss. I just began crying and crying and I couldn't stop. My ex-wife looked at me with confusion and a lack of empathy. 
It was one of those moments I needed her to be there for me, but she wasn't. It was a moment that speaks volumes to me this very day. Kyrie, six child sired and daughter I'll never know. Losing a child is difficult no matter how or when it happens, but I believe there are levels to that heartache. The first loss hurt, eventually, but the loss of Kyrie was instantaneous. The first child had no name, no gender, so in a way, it wasn't someone specific to me. Kyrie had a name. She had a room. She had toys, clothes, a future. Kyrie was my daughter. In the hospital, we asked to see her. We knew she wouldn't be fully formed, but we still wanted to see our daughter. It wasn't an easy thing to process. It still isn't. I wanted nothing more for her to cry in that moment. But there we were. Helpless parents. Nothing we could do to save our child, even though we would give up years of our own lives just to have her in ours. But I cherish the moment always because I got to hold my daughter, if only for a moment. I wish I was a father. As heart-wrenching as this feels for me, those who have spent legitimate amounts of time with their children only to lose them down the line has to hurt so much more. Not only because that child was someone to them, but someone who's looked them in the eyes, held their fingers, their hands, hugged them, kissed them, told you they loved you at some point and even thanked you for doing something for them. They are more than just someone at that point. They are a part of you. Time passed and the loss loomed over us for some time. Even when I returned to work, I wasn't ready. The moment someone had asked about the situation, I had to hurriedly rush to a corner of the building and hide, just so I could break down and cry. I didn't want to be at work. I just wanted to silence the world and remain isolated. Time heals all wounds, as they say. However, the scars remain. Once it felt right, we tried again for a child, and before we knew it, my wife was pregnant again. Unfortunately, this pregnancy ended fairly quickly. At that point, my wife had a DNC and we took a break from trying. Neither one of us were eager to go through another heartache, even though this loss was minor compared to Kyrie. At some point, we did give it another try. When my wife became pregnant, we were both on edge. Every little thing scared us. We took extra precautions to hopefully ensure that nothing would go wrong this time around. Light-duty work, stress-free environments, whatever it took. Before we knew it, the pregnancy was lasting longer than previous attempts, which relieved some of the pressure, but not all. Eventually, we reached the moment we had waited for. Calliope. Eighth child sired. Yet another daughter, but still carrying a unique name. Was I upset by another girl? No. At this point, I was just happy she was alive and well. I wanted nothing more than to hold on to her and protect her. Her siblings came to see her and they all seemed excited. My relationship with Calliope is really hard to define at this point. At this moment, she's only five. She seems to love me profusely some days and wants nothing to do with me on others. She teeters a line of respect and disrespect, 
has an attitude when things don't go her way, and can be brutally honest about her feelings. I hope that our relationship remains good as she grows older, but I'm afraid we'll run into problems as well. I say that last statement as it relates to the ongoing relationships I have with all of my children today. Jade and I have had some very rough times where we didn't speak to each other. I didn't agree with some of the choices she was making, but she was a legal adult, able to make her own decisions. I had a hard time letting go of the parental role of control and shifting to further guidance. As it stands today, everything is good between us and I couldn't be more proud of the woman she has become. Starla and I have butted head on numerous occasions when she was a teenager. It all hinged on what felt like utter disrespect towards all authoritarian figures. I felt there's a psychological connection to trauma there somewhere, but I'm not sure what it is. I always felt I could see the worst outcome of her decisions, and I was trying my damnedest to keep her from making those mistakes. But those choices were not mine to make. I felt that if I let her make those decisions, I was letting her get away with murder. I was being overbearing. Perhaps learning from experience would have been a better approach. I feel our relationship is better today. There are still decisions she makes that I wish she wouldn't, but as I said, they are not mine to make and I can't always assume what seems to be a bad move to me will result in the worst possible outcome. She has her own life to live. I only wish for her to have the best possible version of it, and I will support her in any way that I can. And for the record, her blessing the world with my granddaughter Rose is not what I would consider a bad decision. I have smiled many times because of that one. Piper and I have always had a distant relationship. After the divorce, she was never permitted to live with me because that's how her mother wanted it. I never pushed the subject, but I always missed her the most. Eventually, she lived with us for a few years, but authority and rules are not friends to a teenager. Unlike myself, when I felt my parents were butting in at that age, my kids always had another place to go to when things got too hard at my house. And that's what always happened. I admit to being tough. But I was reasonable as long as the rules were followed. Something that never quite sunk in with any of my kids. But I digress. After she left, I felt I was always going to have one kid who hates me to the point of silence. But eventually the air cleared and we saw each other again. She seems happy and that's what matters, right? As I mentioned before, Anakin and I have always had a tumultuous relationship. I feel that everything I ever wanted from that relationship was tainted just to prove a point. As if to say you should have been happy with what you had instead of digging for a particular sex. And in some ways I feel like that's accurate. I'm not saying I wished he was never born. I'm saying don't expect a particular ideology based on preconceived notions. I put so much faith in what I wanted our relationship to be that I find it hard to have a relationship based on what it is now. It's ludicrous, and it drives the point that I shouldn't be a father. Now, I know I've said that several times, but it's something that I've truly come to believe. Some people are meant to breed, to pass along the best parts of themselves and make better people in the world. When I was younger, the idea of being a father was exciting and thrilling because I didn't understand all the aspects associated with such a responsibility. Today, knowing what I know now and seeing how things have played out, I don't think I was meant to be someone's father. 
I don't believe I have the proper disposition for it. But this is also based on the perception of what I think makes a good father. Patience and understanding. Both I've been known to lack when it comes to my kids. Attentiveness, something I feel I do less and less. Guarding them from pain. I've hurt my children, physically and emotionally. When I remember those moments, I'm filled with immediate regret and wish I could take them all back. But they are scars that will remain fresh to constantly remind me of the terrible person I've been. All of this said, I love my kids and I would do anything for them. I've made decisions and sacrifices in their favor many times without thanks because it's the right thing to do. Their needs come before mine. That's how it is. Despite that, I still don't feel like I'm the best guy to be a father. But sometimes the world will throw you an unexpected curveball. A month ago, a school friend of Calliope's was having a birthday party after Christmas, and it was a pool party. No, it wasn't that warm here. It was an indoor pool. Calliope was very excited about the prospect of going swimming and asked if I could take her. I personally wasn't keen on going to this party with parents and kids I don't know, especially going alone as my wife was working that night. My social anxiety was fighting me that day, and I was looking for any excuse I could to get out of it. But I sucked it up, and I eventually took her. When we got there, I drifted into a corner while my child went to play with other kids. The mother of the birthday girl did introduce herself, which was nice, but again, I wasn't comfortable with everything. Soon after arriving, the kids went to go swimming in the big indoor pool. I kept my focus on Calliope, ensuring she wasn't in water that was too deep and wasn't running on the concrete. You know, typical parent stuff. While she played, I was chatting with Starla, trying to convince her to possibly come keep me company, but she wasn't nearby. So I was left to manage on my own. Soon the pool began to close and Calliope went to get dressed. As she came out, I took her by the hand and we walked toward the exit. Calliope looks at me and says, Thank you for bringing me, Daddy. I smirked surprisingly at her and responded, You're very welcome. I think I want to be a father. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed our stories. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash pencilandpaperproductions or pencilandpaperproductions.podbean.com and click become a patron in the top right-hand corner. Remember, you can tell your friends to find us on the Pencil and Paper Podcast Network found on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts, and even youtube.com slash pencilandpaperproductions. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you'll join us again next time for more stories. This has been a Pencil and Paper Podcast Network production.